Let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 1. As we pick back up where we left off a couple weeks ago in our Rock Solid Truth series. And speaking of last week, wasn't that an absolute inspiration to have Mary Amesbury with us? I so appreciate what God has done and is doing in her. To see how God has guided her journey over 30 years of missions work. You know, I heard a lot of bad news this past week on several major fronts. I'm sure you did too. From the school shooting to the, 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 the massive investigation report of immorality in the SBC. I mean, it, it was a long week. But I found myself, I, I kept going back to Sunday. And the reminder that for every unfaithful person who calls themselves a Christian, I have to believe that there are a thousand faithful who just keep on loving and serving God. Praise God for Mary and those like her. Well, today we're going to pick back up in verse 39 of Luke 1. We've already studied two marvelous accounts of God at work in the lives of people, particularly two tremendous women of God. Praise God for the depth of spiritual vitality in so many of the women around us, in our church, in our homes, and so on. If you have a godly woman close to you, give thanks to God for her. Treasure and protect and honor such a woman. As I suspect was the case with uh, Elizabeth, and Mary, who we've looked at here in chapter 1, when we see such deep levels of spiritual sincerity and faithfulness, they quite often go without fanfare, don't they? The godly women around us are rarely standing on the stage, as it were. They are just being extremely faithful in the day-to-day. Elizabeth and Mary were righteous and walking blamelessly in the sight of God, in the quietness of their own lives, and in spite of their hardships as we studied. What excellent examples we find in these two women. And in our latest study, we looked at verses 26 to 38. Verse 26 to 38, and the angel's announcement to Mary that she would give a virgin birth to the Son of God. It still hurts my brain to even think about receiving that kind of news. And today we pick up with Mary taking that wondrous news to her relative Elizabeth. Imagine the conversation between these two women who have both seen and conversed with the angel angel Gabriel, or at least not um, Elizabeth, but her husband has. I would just picture these two women meeting together. You know, and Mary shares her story And then Elizabeth says, yes, and you're not going to believe what happened to me and my mute husband. We can only imagine the conversation. But the title for today's study in verses um, uh, 39 to 56 comes from verse 46 in Mary's statement, my soul exalts the Lord. If you're using a King James or an English Standard uh, Version Bible there, then the verse says, my soul magnifies the Lord. Exalt and magnify carry the same meaning here. The Greek word is megaluno, and it means to make large, to magnify, to make great. This is why this section of Scripture has come to be famously known as Mary's Magnificat. Thus, our study today is titled, Magnify God. 
my church family, does the way you and I live magnify God? That's a big question, but that's an important question. Can those around us see God more clearly by the way you and I speak and act? Of course, not just on Sunday, but the Monday through Saturday as well. Would your answer be yes or no to this question? If you're not sure, then it is probably safe to just say no. And if we say no, then that has got to change, or we are highly suspect of not being born again. I hope I didn't get to the bottom line too fast there. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 17 to 20, Jesus said, Every good tree bears good fruit. But the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will know them by by their fruits, end quote. If the fruit of the Spirit of God... If the fruit of the righteousness of Jesus Christ is not growing in your life and mine and magnifying God, then let's cut to the chase and get saved, transformed, indwelt and controlled by the Holy Spirit. Or at least let us recommit ourselves to following Christ if indeed we are already saved. If we can say, yes, I believe my life is magnifying God according to what I read in the Scriptures, then praise the Lord, and the spiritual growth question to follow is, how can I magnify Him more? I pray that every one of us, as we come into church this morning and as we sit before the Word of God, I pray that our heart is, Lord, how can I grow today? I am not all that you have called me to be yet. So, Lord, how can I grow? One of the first recorded statements that we have out of the mouth of John the Baptist is found in John chapter 3, verse 30, when John said, He must increase, but I must decrease. What a statement. What a proclamation to define oneself and Christ by. He must be magnified. God must be enlarged and made great, and I must not. On a very practical note, when we magnify something, we zoom in on it so that we can see the wonder and beauty of its details. Do those around us see the brilliant details of God by the way we speak and act? If our lives cause others to be amazed at God, then we are indeed magnifying Him. Lord, help me with this. In my own preaching, as a pastor, one of the pastors in this church, If people walk away saying, he's a good preacher, then perhaps I have failed my calling. The goal is for people to say, what an amazing God we have come and seen in the Word today. The goal is for them to walk away in the awe of the Scriptures alone. If this community 
is impressed, quote-unquote, with our church, then perhaps we are failing our mission and calling. The need, they need to be in awe of what God is doing in this place. Are you with me on this? We want people to see God and to see Him well. There's a subtle difference in this, of seeing us or seeing God. Because, of course, people see us as we serve God. It's a subtle difference, but it is all the difference. Do others have a clearer picture of who God is because of you and me? Let's bow our heads and ask God to accomplish that today. Then we'll study this text. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege you have given us of pointing people to Christ, of being ambassadors of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Almighty, the creation of all that is. We get to be a picture of the Son of God to those around us. Lord, as was prayed earlier, would you cause us to do this well by your grace? Help us, Lord, to see the importance of representing you well because we personally know you well. Help us, Lord, to be a good picture of Jesus Christ to our spouses and our children. Oh, that our children would grow up to say, I know God because of my father and my mother. I have seen the fruit of the Spirit. I have seen the righteousness of Christ at work in my mother. I want Christ. Lord, may our neighbors say the same. May our coworkers know God better because we have been in the workplace. This is no small mission you've given us, Lord. But we are reminded that you give us all the grace we need. And so it is with eager anticipation now, Lord, and humble anticipation but even joyful anticipation that we go into your word and we ask that you would not only speak to us, but Lord, cause us to hear with our hearts. Cause us to go away from this place and be changed for the better. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, follow along as I begin reading in verse 39, Luke 1, 39. Now at this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, speaking of Elizabeth's infant, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she cried out with a loud voice and said, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Elizabeth 
was only able to speak these incredible words, even prophetic in many senses, because she was filled with the Holy Spirit. The blessing upon Mary, the blessing of being present with her, the divine joy that came upon the baby in the womb just at the sound of Mary's voice. Can you imagine? And then there's the affirmed blessing of Mary's faith in God. Yes, Mary too needed to put her trust in God. This is truly something marvelous that was happening in these minutes. Elizabeth knew it. Even the unborn infant in her womb knew it. But let's look now at Mary's God-magnifying response. Now, I'll be quick to say, I don't know if Mary was instantly filled with the Holy Spirit and uttered these most poetic words with no preparation, or if perhaps this was something she had rehearsed in her mind and, and maybe even penned to read to Elizabeth. I mean, what a momentous occasion, knowing from the angel Gabriel that God had done something miraculous in Elizabeth as well. All we know is that these are the words that instantly came from her mouth. These are the words and the type of words that come from the mouth of a person who is living righteously and blamelessly in the sight of God. And as we study through these verses today, let's ask ourselves, do these kind of words come out of my mouth? A couple weeks back, we looked at Mary's response to the angel Gabriel, and we couldn't help but wonder how we would have responded had we heard such an incredible announcement. And here again, as we consider Mary's Magnificat, we wonder, would such words have come from my mouth? Now, to be sure, Mary had the hand of God upon her in a most unique and spectacular way. But when we stop and think about it, is this bar of what we're about to read so high that we, the children of God, should not also aim for it? Do we not also have the Spirit of God Himself indwelling us and working in, not only in us but through us? I think you'll agree with me that Mary's song of praise should also be our song of praise. And we're going to see that Mary not only said these words, she believed them. They were the expression of her soul, not just her mouth. That takes us to our, fir our first point in verse 46. And Mary said, my soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For those taking notes, we're going to look at nine ways to magnify God. And here is point number one, worship God from your soul and spirit, not just your mind and mouth. What a thought, huh? You'll note in your bulletin that I've asked some very personal and introspective questions in the sermon questions section, one of which is, how do we know we're worshiping God from our soul and our spirit and not just our mind, not just with our mouth? Now, I know that our salt groups aren't meeting this week. But that doesn't mean we can't meet with a friend, you know, meet with someone else here from the church, or what's to stop a husband and wife from answering these questions together, or using this in our family Bible time. Mary worshiped God 
from the inside out. Jesus said in John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24, an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. Isn't that an incredible thought? God was looking for you and for me. The verse goes on to say, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. My church family, do you worship God in spirit and truth? Similar to earlier, if if you don't know the answer to the question, then it's probably safest to just assume that you are not. If you don't know the answer, then you want to hurry up and figure this out. If we don't know whether we are worshiping God from our soul, from our spirit, from our heart, then we should give this some very careful thought. If we don't know, it's it's like asking me, are you sure you're the son of Al and Cheryl Rogers? If I were to answer you, you know, I, I think so but I'm not, I'm not sure. You would be like, boy, you better figure this out. <laughs> you might not be. There are things that are important in life, and because they are so important, we must know their certainty. Such is the case of the way and manner in which we worship God. As followers of Christ, as believers, we must worship biblically, personally, consistently, honestly, obediently, growingly, and you could add to this list. We worship from the inside out, from the heart. If you suspect that your worship is really only in your mind, it's just something you know, but it is not necessarily something that moves you deeply then it is important that we go to the Scriptures and study worship and the heart of worship. If a person's deep and sincere worship is not aligned with Scripture, if the way you and I come before God and the things we sing are not similar to what Scripture presents, then surely we are not worshiping from our soul, from our innermost being. If it is not personal and consistent, there is good reason to question whether it is heart-level worship. If it is not honest before God, if our worship is not obedient, which we looked at even last week, then surely it is not worshiping from the Spirit, the innermost being. On the contrary, if it is surface level, then perhaps it is superficial. And if it is not growing, if our worship is not becoming greater and greater toward God, it is probably not worship from the soul in the first place. Look at the next verses and see what worship from the soul looks like. Verse 48, for he, Mary speaking of God, has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. Point number two, recognize your humble state as God's bond slave. 
when we are humble before God, God is magnified. I find it astonishing and enlightening that this is one of the first statements out of Mary's mouth. Who am I? I am just God's servant, his bond slave, and yet God has reached down and chosen me. My church family, can you say the same? If you're a child of God, then absolutely you can. What Mary just said is our testimony also. And the humility that this inspires in us is life-changing. It is attitude-changing. It is mission-changing. Colossians 3.12 says, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. If you're a child of God and you recognize God's goodness to you in your humble state, it will change you. And it will keep changing you at the heart level. Humility is one of the pillars of this entire song of praise. And if it is for us as well, then we will be worshiping from our soul. Notice how many times humility is mentioned, or at least inferred to, as we study through the rest of Mary's song here. Verse 48 continues. For behold... From this time on, all generations will count me blessed. I love that verse. Point number three, know that you are blessed forever. If you are indeed a child of God, if you have repented of sin and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, that God has raised him from the dead, then the scripture says you are saved. You will be saved if you confess him and believe in him. And when we do that, we have the assurance that we are now blessed forever. This should at least cause us to think twice before saying something like, poor me. Or even thinking and acting like it. We can't go deep into this, but understand the general principle here. That a great deal of discouragement and depression can be avoided by counting our blessings, particularly blessings that cannot be taken away. Blessings that cannot change with our ever-changing circumstances. Blessings that cannot change even with changing relationships. More on this later in the text, but for now, we're going to recognize that the blessing of our Savior and salvation is one that will last forever. Indeed, you and I can say, all generations will count us blessed. Verse 49 says, for the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Point number four, identify what great things mighty and holy God has done for you. 
I'm going to speak on this point more in point number seven. So let's continue now with verse 50. It says, and his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. Point number five, know that God's mercy will never end as you fear him. I so appreciate Paul's ministry of the word through music. I know that he considers those scriptures for each Sunday as he selects those songs. God is at work in the preparation of our services each Sunday. That's one of the great joys for us who are behind the scenes to see. But we can know that God's mercy will never end as we fear Him. The humility in verse 48 appreciates the mercy in verse 50. People who lack humility lack appreciation for the mercy God shows them day after day. The undeserved kindness, the unmerited favor, the divine graciousness that we could never earn or deserve on our own. When we acknowledge the mercy of God and when it inspires us to live in the healthy fear of the Lord, God is magnified. Again, when we acknowledge the mercy of God and it inspires us to live in the healthy fear of the Lord, God is magnified. Did you know that there is a mercy that pertains to salvation as well as a mercy that pertains to sanctification? That is our daily spiritual growth. Hebrews 4.16, listen carefully to the wording. It says, therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The Hebrew author is speaking to believers, those who have a great, great high priest, those who already hold fast to their confession. Even as children of God, we need the daily mercy of God to carry us through. But the encouragement in this is that we can know that God's mercy will never fail us as we fear Him. Verse 51, it says, He has done mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. We'll pause right there. Point number six, know that God fights for His humble children. Everyone needs protection. Everyone is attacked from all sides all through life. We can know that God is fighting for us, particularly as we are humble with Him. Mary, Mary was likely reflecting on how God had protected not only her, not only her family, but the nation of Israel, the people of God. She's reflecting on the mighty arm of God all through Israel's history. Profoundly, this woman from the lowly town of Nazareth understood that God sets up and takes down kings of the earth, that he dominates and decimates the proud in heart. 
She saw God for who he was. And he protects his children who are humble before him. Mary continues with the flip side of this thought in verse 52. And he has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. Point number seven, know that God exalts and provides for his humble children. God not only defends, he also exalts. That means he lifts up and he provides for them. He takes care of our every need. But again, how can you not see the humble theme that is woven through this entire proclamation of praise? If you and I are not growing in humility, then there is going to be a whole host of things in life that are just not going to go right for us. Maybe God will withhold an element of his defense because we are not humble with him. Maybe he withholds honor to some degree and the, the exaltation Maybe he withholds some of his provision of our very real daily needs, all as a loving father chastises his children, all because he cares enough for us to draw us to himself with whatever it takes. There is no end to the problems we can experience and will experience in life if we are not growing in our humility before God. Sin, as you know, is very complicated. There is no tracking or understanding it. How much better, how much more efficient to just be humble before God and people? Did you know that God's blessing will come upon you in greater measure when you are humble? His blessing comes upon me in greater measure when I am humble before Him and others. And it happens regardless of whether we understand how and why and where. Obey God and He will take care of you, even if you don't understand. That is one of our greatest reliefs in following Christ. Ours is to obey far more than it is to understand. As they say, just put the oil in your car. The engine will run better, trust me. You don't have to know how an engine works to get the benefits of changing your oil. Now granted, learning how it works and what happens if you don't change that oil will help motivate and inspire you to change it regularly. Likewise, knowing God and growing in our understanding of his ways and his thoughts is a good thing. But meanwhile, we can rest and find peace in simply knowing that God is trustworthy. He will take care of you and me as his children. And especially so when we are humble. Look at the contrast in the rest of the verse. And sent away the rich empty-handed. Point number eight, know that God defies the wealth of this world. There's a proverb at play here. It goes something like this. The rich have nothing. Now, we have to understand the context 
and the intent of such a saying. It is those who are proud against God and proud in the things of this world who will miss out on the blessing of God. They get sent away empty-handed. If you and I don't have God's blessing, we don't have anything. If we have Him and His blessing, we have everything. Mary wraps up this beautiful exclamation of praise in verse 54. He has given help to Israel, His servant, in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. Our last point today, know that God always delivers on His promises. As time goes by, we grow more and more grateful for that truth. We could have spent the whole morning just on this point. You can tell when a Christian is grounded in the rock-solid truth of God's promises, but you can also often tell when they aren't. The truth is you can't appreciate the fulfilled promises of God if you can't spot them. And you can't spot them if you can't remember what they were in the first place. All throughout this song of praise, Mary is quoting and she is reflecting on much of Old Testament Scripture. She is a woman of the Word and it showed when she worshiped God. She knew that God was delivering on His promises. But here's what's so astounding about these two verses. The Abrahamic covenant was given approximately 2,000 years prior. That is two millennia prior. I don't know how long you've been in your hardships and trials, but I do know this. It ain't been that long. My trials have not been that long. My friend, have you been tempted to give up on God? To give up on trusting Him? Maybe you already have given up or begun to give up. It is not too late to re-trust in Him and to replace your faith in the fact that God will deliver on His promises. But you and I must identify His promises and spot them when He is fulfilling them so that we can lean on them and magnify Him. Of all the times you and I need to really zoom in on God and how He has been faithful, it's when we're suffering. Because when we suffer, we tend to zoom in on our pain. When Peter stepped out on the water, he only saw the waves. But don't dog Peter. He instantly knew what to do. He cried out to Jesus. And God took care of the rest. So it's a simple but profound truth. Jesus came through. Oh, how good it is to count your blessings, to name them one by one, to count your blessings and see what God has done. That songwriter is speaking biblical truth. Verse 56 as we close. It says, and Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. For those taking notes, I don't have a point on that verse. Maybe you can come up with one. Just be careful with the difference between your exegesis and your eisegesis. It is worth noting that if Mary came to Elizabeth when Elizabeth was six months pregnant 
and then stayed for three more months. She likely stayed through the birth of John. When I get to heaven, I look forward to sitting down over a good cup of coffee with these two women, women of faith, women who magnified God as they walked righteously and blamelessly in his sight. Let us do the same and see what God will do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the riches of your word today. May we walk away from this place magnifying you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.